Before we dive into the episode, I want to talk about my company, Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency. We do exactly what it says. We staff virtual assistants for business owners wishing to scale. Whether you need help with administrative assistance, bookkeeping, cold calling, content creation, data entry, lead generation, or even social media management, we can hire the perfect virtual assistant for your team. And the best part, it's only around $4 an hour. If you're interested in learning more, head over to our website, www.vastaffing.agency and book your demo call. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Entrepreneurism Podcast. I'm here with Drew Sterrett. Drew is the CEO and founder at Lex, the first commercial real estate securities market, but essentially the first commercial real estate stock exchange. Drew, how's it going, man? It's going really well. Thank you so much for having me, Brady. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. So before we dive into Lex, how you got started with it, the different strategies you've used to kind of navigate around different obstacles. I always ask this first question, what's the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? Lawyers and consultants. Lawyers and consultants. I imagine. And I would like, I want to caveat. I want to caveat it though. Okay. okay. External lawyers, internal lawyers. Fantastic. Best money I've ever spent. Right. Or like external lawyers. Waste. <laughs> Why do you say that? They bill by the minute and they will make things drag out as long as possible and love to say no first. And you have to convince them why no is not actually the correct answer. So you have to be just as well versed as they are. Right. So why do you hire them? Yeah, exactly. That's gotta be frustrating. So I'm assuming you guys have an in-house, I wouldn't, I don't want to say attorney general, but. We, we have a general counsel and then counsel. our head of trading is also a securities litigation lawyer. There you go. So we actually have two. Yeah. And I imagine too, being, being in your space, right? Obviously behind you powered by NASDAQ and being in commercial real estate, but even deeper than that being, you know, with investments and whatnot, there's got to be a ton of legality around that. So I'm sure we'll dive into that. I'm sure there's a lot of obstacles you overcome because of that. But give myself an audience a little snippet of who you are. How did you get started with Lex? So Lex really came about late one night while I was working at a real estate private equity firm. Last person in the office, my brother called me. We were looking to invest a portion of our very small portfolio, like stocks and everything else, and wanted an allocation to alternatives and to real estate. And the only available option were public REITs, which were highly correlated, and not really reflective of actual real estate investments, especially since I was seeing what real investments looked like. But I didn't have the ability to put in a million dollars or more into a individual deal. Right. So it really led to the question, and it was more of a frustrating question, where how do you have one of the oldest and largest asset classes in the world and one of the largest wealth creators and no public and liquid market. And personally, I wanted access and it didn't make any sense. And when you think about it, you're like, this should have already existed. Right. So that's what kicked it off. So you kick off this idea that was essentially unheard of. Did you have any pushback of people saying like, no, nah, that, that's not going to work? I can't even count on my fingers and toes 10 times over yeah, the number of people who said that. Do you, and, and tell me this too, because you worked in a real estate private equity firm. 
when you quit, did you tell them why? Yeah. And they were actually supportive. Interesting. Yeah. It, I was surprised as well. Yeah. Cause it seems almost Truly. like it could be kind of like competing to it. I mean, not, not directly, but to a degree, right. I mean, kind of both in the same, if you say real estate fields, right. I think it's, it could be seen as like, Hey, conflict of interest, stuff like that. Yes. And no, they were doing a lot of development acquisition and we're dealing with stabilized already owned assets. So it wasn't a direct competitor. Mm -hmm. And actually in many cases actually could be value add for them, but overall they were extremely supportive and helped along the way. Yeah. So, so essentially what you're doing with Lex is you're allowing the everyday person to actually have a legitimate way to invest in real estate without owning real estate. Correct. And so that's either directly through creating an account with Lex and we're integrating with almost all of the financial institutions. So you'll be able to purchase it through whatever brokerage account, wealth advisor, private banker, RA account, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting model because I, I, you know, especially being 2020, you would assume that you've kind of hit a ceiling of what could be possible, right? Especially on, on quote unquote Wall Street. But it seems as if you recognizing the opportunity there, what others are going to see other opportunities elsewhere, right? Of like, hey, I want to invest in this, but I can't. I literally can't. So it's like, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, right? Because like you have this idea, and this is just kind of like an entrepreneurial question. You have this idea of I'm working late one night. I want to be able to invest in real estate without having actually having real estate, not having to have a ton of money to do it. That's, that sounds great. Right. But the execution is like, how the hell does this even get off? the? Like, where do I even start with this? So like when you have this idea, like in your head, you're probably all excited. The next morning you wake up and you're like, Oh shit. Like what next? That is definitely something that we encountered especially in the beginning is how do you get it done and i think the best place to start is a with the concept and the idea then actually creating a business plan on how you're going to tackle even the high level of how you're going to accomplish this and then the third thing that you have to do is go and talk to the experts right you're entering a market well, you're entering two different markets, right? You're entering commercial real estate. And then on our side, it's also financial institutions and infrastructure. It's two slow moving industries. They are not known for moving fast. Right. So it really goes and it came down to having, I don't know how many conversations. It has to be at least like 200 with different people across the industry, getting their perspective, figuring out, what you can take away to help make your idea work. So it's go to the professionals and they love to help. That's the other thing. If you're asking for advice and feedback, I would say 95% of people are there and are more than happy to a take the call in the meeting. And then also a lot of them will also mentor you throughout the process. Did, did you ever have this fear when you were talking to people on wall street or wherever, I don't know where you were talking to these people, I'm assuming Wall Street, but 
did you ever have this fear that if I tell them this idea, what if they stole it? Did you have to do any sort of like legality behind it to kind of secure that you own the right to this idea? So I feel that, I feel that most startups sort of take that approach where it's like, Oh, they're going to come in and steal exactly what I'm going to do. And in some cases that does happen, but I would say also 95% of the time you'll never face that. And also at this point, I wish anyone the best of luck. Like, yeah, you want to try and go do it. Fantastic. You're just proving out the market even more and making the company more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely think that's a valid concern, but I, I think you're right that people have this fear of getting help because they don't want their idea to be stolen when in the grand scheme of things, like you might've not been the first person to think about this, but you were the first person to actually execute on it. Right. And I think that people, people believe put people put so much value behind ideas. Right. But ideas don't mean a thing unless they're executed upon. And I, I think people might use that as an excuse to not ask for help. Right. And not propel themselves forward quicker. So which leads me to my next question of the power of mentors and the power of asking for help. Do you believe you'd be in the state you are in today if you hadn't asked for help and said, you know what, I'm going to do this all myself. I'm going to do my own research. I don't need someone else's expertise. I can do this on my own. Lex wouldn't exist if that had been the case. So you would put essentially Lex's, I mean, it's just a company as a whole. You would, you would say like, if you never asked for help, it would not be a thing. No. Hmm. See, it would have gone nowhere. I think, I think Drew, I think we're in two different areas of entrepreneurship, right? I think there's the online entrepreneurship, right? I'm going to do drop shipping or digital marketing or whatever. And I think there's also like the corporate entrepreneurship. I would label you as kind of like a corporate entrepreneur. You're still, going to the office every single day, potentially, and you have building and all this other stuff, infrastructure, lawyers, we talked about that. But I think it's two different routes to go. But I think that the thing that's synonymous among both routes is asking for help and the power of mentors and knowing that even if someone hasn't done exactly what you're trying to do, someone has probably done something very similar and they can get you on the right path. So when you're seeking out these mentors it's probably hard for you to say no one's done what I'm trying to do. So like, how did you decide who you were going to ask for help? Well, in the beginning I would like truly be willing to take any meeting because really you're fleshing out a game plan. You're fleshing out how you're going to make the product fit and then figuring out the different pieces that also went into it. And then you were saying we're sort of, corporate now i mean it took a long time to get to this place where we have the backers that we do where we have the partnerships and the team that we have built and created but trust me it it was a schlog it's not easy and if it was easy everyone would do it right but in this case it was easy to point out that no one had done and exactly what we were trying to do and yeah. Well, and, that, and that's where I want to hone in on, right? We were talking about the struggles along the journey, which is a very important piece. 
of just entrepreneurship in general and starting a business because when you are trying to set out and do something that hasn't been done before, there's obviously going to be more struggles because you, you don't even know what to do next and no one can tell you what to do next because there's no one that's done it. Right. But if, you know, if I'm incurring a struggle while I'm trying to run ads on Facebook or something like that, someone's probably had a similar issue before. So as you're coming up with these issues, and this is more probably a personal approach to it for yourself, but when you're coming up to these issues and you're like, no one has an answer. I don't have an answer. I don't know how to get around this. What do you do next? You have to have fun problem solving. Explain what you mean by that. Break it down. Figure out what you can figure out. And I mean, everything is an equation, right? In one way, shape or form. So figure out what the actual blockers are, how you can tackle those blockers, what the implications are sort of from a holistic perspective. I mean, everything we do in life, if you take a step back, is making choices, making decisions, making judgment calls, and solving whatever's in front of you, whether it's getting your computer to turn on or getting your microphone or headphones to connect to your computer, right? right? There are steps. And so you go through those steps where it's like, oh, my computer's frozen or my computer's not turning on. Is it actually broken or do I need to plug it in? Right. So you sort of go through the process of deconstructing what the problem is that you're facing. And then you can sort of tackle it in a more manageable way if you're able to break it up. It's not just like, let me solve this really big problem in one fell swoop. Right. Exactly. And, you know, that that's close to home to me. Coincidentally, I watched a, a TEDx video yesterday. Who, he talks about this. He says, everyone has these big aspirations, right? What you're trying to set out to do with Lex is a big aspiration. But if all you focus on on a daily basis was how can I achieve this business model, you burn out so fast because it's so overwhelming. You can't build Lex and you can't build a company in a day. You really can't. Right. And I think people try to, and they have good intentions, but they burn out because they don't break it up in the manageable steps. And I think that comes with experience. I think that, uh, and self-awareness, understanding that you can't build this all in one day and that it's going to take manageable steps. And I think that that's a really, really important point for people to understand is that you can build anything you want. You, I thoroughly believe that you can build the next Amazon, the next Microsoft, the next Tesla. Of course, you got to have the, the knowledge to do it, but I think you can. But if you try to do that in one day and you're pissed that you didn't get it done in one day, you're not going to succeed, you know? So like when-, when just going to be really frustrated. Yeah, exactly. When, when did you start Lex? Oh, man. Well, I have two answers. One is when I left my private equity job. Which was what? And so that was at the end of 2017. Okay. I then spent a whole bunch of time just learning, right? There's so many different industries. I had to learn securities law, accounting, financial systems, taking into account and even learning more about real estate. And so I really like to say the company... I guess was created when my two other co-founders joined on. And so that's both my brother, Dean, and then my co-founder and CTO, Jesse, quit his job at Google in February, 2018. 
So February 2018, when was the moment when you're like, oh man, like this is actually like becoming something? I think I've had that moment a hundred times over. But the first moment where you were like, this is actually becoming what I thought it should be. I think that first moment was actually came twice, right? One was when we went to the industry experts with our best put together product and we were like, try and break it. And no one could. So that was sort of like an aha moment. Right. And the second one was when we got our first institutional financing from one of the grandfathers of venture capital, Alan Patrickoff and Greycroft Ventures. And what, what was the timeline between February 2018 and those moments, if you remember? Ooh. Well, I think I started talking to Alan early in the spring and then the deal actually closed uh, in the summer of last of 2019. Yeah. So that goes to show, right. It's proving my point that if you would have started in February, 2018 and you would have been pissed that Alan didn't invest when you talked to him the first time, you would probably wouldn't be here today. Right. So it comes to this point, right. And, and, it, and it's, it's proving my point that first you have to break it up into manageable steps, but I think an even more important second point is emotions with everything. Right. I think it's really easy for founders to get emotional when something's not working. And I imagine you're not done dealing with stuff that doesn't work. Right. You're, you're never really done with the struggles. It just, it's just a bigger struggle. Next. You always want to get to another level. There's always an obstacle to get there. We like to call them high level problems. Exactly. High level problems. But you know, it's like the emotion of dealing with that problem. I do believe you, it gets better over time because you're used to it. But I think in the beginning, it's so key. And I think people take it for granted, right? They think that, oh, people tell me you're supposed to experience failure. So I, this is fine, you know, but like, I, I do think it's the wrong emotion because you really have to say like, listen, like this sucks. Failure sucks. I don't want to deal with this anymore. How can I get it furthest away possible away from this and then move on to the next high level failure. Right. Yeah. But I think people treat it just like they take it for granted. Like it's supposed to happen. And yes, it, success is often on the other side of failure, but I just think the emotions are all wrong. There's no grit. There's no determination. It's just like, it is what it is. You know, I'll just keep going or, or they get pissed and they quit, you know? So uh, you need thick skin. Exactly. Exactly. And I imagine, I imagine, even though Alan said yes, you probably had a lot of no's. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we had other offers too, but I also think it's really important, especially for people who are fundraising, where there's a difference between smart strategic capital and just capital. Exactly. So, you know, that, that's an interesting point, right? When people are trying to raise money, in your shoes, it's probably more, it has to be more strategic because your business model kind of feeds off of this capital. But for some people who are like, for instance, I interviewed someone who was the COO of a company called Impact Snacks. They're creating the world's most sustainable snack. And they probably will accept any sort of venture, any sort of seed money or venture capital, whatever. But for your 
company Lex, you probably have to be strategic about what you accept and what you don't accept. So how do you go along deciding like, what should I accept this money or should I turn it down? Or like, how, how does that work? You try and use your best judgment and when in doubt, go to your mentors and your advisors and your board because they're, they're there to help you and support you. Right. But also trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I think that's another big thing that people take for granted is uh, the concept of trusting your gut. Right. I think for you, right. You had this business model in, in, in your head, this idea. And along the way, I'm sure there was, like we talked about, there's times where you don't know what to do next. You can do research. You might not find the idea or find the answer. You can talk to mentors, might not find the answer, but then you're like, man, I really just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. Whether it's right or wrong, I just feel like I'm supposed to go this route. So as a CEO and founder of a, of a company that I believe is doing big things, there's probably also a lot of eyes on you, right? Of like, hey, you better make the right decision because if you have a board and you hear it all the time of CEOs being fired from their own companies and stuff like that, how do you deal with that on a daily basis of the decisions you're making? It's a really good question. And I think it comes down to be transparent. Number one, with the board and your investors, because transparency is key. And two, sort of along with that is go and talk to them. Like they're there to help you as well. Right. And to build you up and to make you the best person that you can be. And if they're not doing that, then they may not be the right board members for you. And so that's why I say choose carefully. So you have control over who's on the board. Well, yes and no. When you take financing, sometimes you give investors a board seat. And that's also why you have to choose your investors carefully. Right. Yeah. So... You have to remember, you spend more time with the people you work with than with your family members for the most part, especially in a startup where you spend an exorbitant number of hours working compared to a traditional nine to five. Right. You have to really like who you work with. You spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine too, especially in your world, right? I do think there's two different types of entrepreneurship. Like I said, the more corporate route where you are, you do have a board and I still believe you're an entrepreneur, right? You, you still have these aspirations and there's, you know, the online entrepreneur world where the startup phases are completely different, right? Yeah. So the startup phase of a corporate entrepreneur, I think it's more, uh, it's more intense. It's a lot more intense, right? You're, you're working with people no matter what. Whereas in the online world, you don't really have to work with people if you don't want to. So it's very important that you like who you work with, especially people who hold leadership positions in your company, a board or the other founders or, or C-suite executives, whatever. So in your- I think everyone in the company personally. Exactly. And yeah, that's a great point as well, right? Even if it's just a low level junior analyst and you hate this kid, <laughs> that still sucks. Yeah, no, you want to work with good people. And at the end of the day, it penetrates all aspects of any company, right? You have to enjoy what you do. 
because as long as you're enjoying what you're doing and you feel like you have purpose and a drive, right? Absolutely. You actually don't need that much of the thick skin and it doesn't really feel like work. It's more like what's the next challenge and what's the next fun thing I get to tackle. There's a lot of things that aren't fun, but just need to get done, but you don't really view it as like work, work. Right. It's sort of like, it's sort of like you're a part of something bigger. Yeah. And you know, that that's another thing too, back to the manageable tasks where it's almost like people refuse to do work they don't want to do. Don't get me wrong. You can delegate it out, but they just refuse to do work they don't want to do because it's not fun. It's not, it doesn't, it's not, it's not what they want to be doing. You know, it's like, how does it contribute to your overall goal? And if you can break this unfun work into manageable steps, it's, it's not bad. It's not hard. A lot of the not fun work is not hard. It's just boring, you know? So I think it's part of it. And I imagine your shoes, there's a lot of work that's not fun. I imagine if you're sitting in meetings with lawyers, you're like, shit, this is not fun either. I don't want to be here right now, but on a day-to-day basis, you know, it's interesting. Are you, are you on wall street? Are you, are you somewhere else? So we're actually right in Bryant Park, so right in Midtown. Gotcha. How many hours do you work a day? Depends on the day. I don't know. Anywhere. I mean, (sighs) slow day, 10, big day, 18. What do you do outside of work? Try and get some sleep. No, I I (laughs) love getting out in nature, playing sports. It's football season, so now watching football, um, hanging out with other founders, actually mentoring other startups and other entrepreneurs, um, and just trying to help and give back since I know all the advice that I received meant a lot to me and right. it helped me grow. So it just feels good to – it's since I don't have as traditional hours to do a whole bunch of community service, it's like giving back. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's crazy too. When you're mentoring someone, you don't know who's going to be that next big founder. Because I, I think everybody's smart. Everybody's smart, right? And everyone's capable of doing huge things. It's just doing it, right? Execution. But I think when you mentor people and they go on to do big things, you can feel like you were a part of that journey with them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a fun thing too. So Drew, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up here the ending question for a lot of podcasts is like, what's a piece of advice you can give my audience? I never asked that question because it's littered throughout the episode and it's kind of a cliche question. But the one I asked, which is a bit deeper is why do you love what you do? Cause from the surface, right. From, for someone who's not in that field, and especially, you know, I'm an online entrepreneur, you're a corporate entrepreneur. I would divide us to that respect working those 18 hour days and having a stress you really have to love it. You really have to love it. So why do you love that? And why is it important for people to also do what they love? Oh man. You took it. Well, I have a few favorite quotes and um, it sort of comes down to, I love to learn, right? And every single day I am always learning and pushing myself forward mentally physically and emotionally and it's growth. And so it really is continued growth on a daily basis. 
sort of something that when you look at it from that perspective, you really can never make the argument that any day is anything other than that. Right. And one of my favorite quotes is the derivation off of Socrates, but it's the idea that the quote effectively is the only thing I know is that I know nothing where you never reach a point. That's the end of the journey. Right. You're always learning. You're always evolving. You're always, you're never at that end point. So try and make yourself better and have fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about where you're trying to get to at the very end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, not to get super deep, but I think people need to know what they want out of their life. Right. And I think when one, when you don't know, it's hard to grow towards anything. Right. But when you do know, and you're not growing, that's also miserable. Right. But I yeah. think it comes down to you being self-aware and saying, listen, like you got to love the process. You really do. Let's say down the road, you sell X for billions and billions of dollars, right? Hopefully I don't get you in trouble by saying that. I don't know, but you're fine. But think about if you, when you enjoy the process, that result feels a whole lot better, right? And then you're going to be looking back and feeling like those were the glory days. Exactly. And you know, and people, people, I don't remember where I saw this. I think I saw it in a video online where this guy walks into this guy's penthouse and he's got artwork. He's got fancy furniture, you know, a view of the entire skyline. And he walks in, I think it was Jesse Itzler. I don't know if you know who Jesse Itzler is, but uh, he's a big online entrepreneur. And he's like, I walk into this guy's house. He's got everything. He's worth many, many, many millions of dollars, but he tells me I'm the lucky one. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm 21 years old. I'm broke. I have, I have no money to my name. Like, how am I the lucky when you look at everything you have? He says, no, because I wish I could go back and experience that growth phase again because once you have stuff like this it's hard it's hard to go back and do that because maybe you're old maybe you're starting a family you know it's it's hard to go through that that grind phase again he's like i wish i could do it because i enjoyed that process so much and i think that's something that people need to evaluate in themselves today is do i enjoy the process of what i'm trying to build yeah what i'm trying to do and if you don't i mean take a reflection on that right i mean i think that's that's a valid point you have to enjoy your life at the end of the day if you came on here and said, yeah, I work 18 hour days, but I hate every second of it. I'd be like, dude, you got to figure something else out. That's miserable. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. I, I would tell myself the same thing. No, exactly. but it's also just have fun. Like just try and make it fun. And of course there are times to be serious, but there's also a time to enjoy it. Right. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to crack a joke. You're allowed to make the lawyers laugh or who are your investors laugh or anyone in the room, right? We're all human. Right. And you can connect with people that you think you have very little in common with just by being genuine and just enjoying all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a really important point. And, and it sounds cheesy to have fun, but it's, I think it's the truth, right? I think that's that. I think having fun is, is a legitimate source of happiness. And I think when you don't, when you're so serious all the time, it's, it's, it gets monotonous. <laughs> it really, really does. And you feel like you're losing yourself. Exactly. And, and there are still times to be serious and you have to be serious, but just don't let it take over your personality and change who you are. Absolutely. I think it's a great point, but Drew, we're going to go ahead and wrap up completely. Where can my audience find Lex? So 
lex-markets.com. And then also feel free to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn, Drew Starrett, and happy to talk to anyone and help wherever I can. So yeah. I'm not the only person who's gone through this process. I know a lot of other people are as well. And it's always good just to help people out and give back. Absolutely. Yeah, guys, reach out to Drew. Let him know what you thought about the episode. Ask him any questions you got. Check out Lex. I think it's a cool market. And I think in 10 years, we're going to be hearing some awesome things about it. So, Drew, I appreciate your time, man. And good luck and everything. Appreciate it, Brady. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneurism Podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 a.m. Central Time. We would greatly appreciate if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. I'm Brady Morgan, your host. We'll see you next time.